0: We're going to have our Bible reading, which this evening is chapter 3 from the book of Habakkuk. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. Renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Timon, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens, and his praise filled the earth. His splendour was like the sunrise, rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. Plague went before him, pestilence followed his steps. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed. His ways are eternal. I saw the tents of Cushan in distress, the dwellings of Midian in anguish. Were you angry with the rivers, O Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea when you rode with your horses in your victorious chariots? You uncovered your bow. You called for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. Torrents of water swept by. The deep roared and lifted its waves on high. Sun and moon stood still in the heavens at the glint of your flying arrows. But the lightning of your flashing spear. In wrath you strode through the earth, and in anger you threshed the nations. You came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness, you stripped him from head to foot. With his own spear you pierced his head when his warriors stormed out to scatter us, gloating as though about to devour the wretched who were in hiding. You trampled the sea with your horses churning the great waters. I heard, and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones, and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Saviour. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights.
1: Last Sunday you concluded in Habakkuk the two, and this intriguing verse twenty, shall read to you. In the light of all the calamity and turmoil, but the lovely pause there. The Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before Him, or wait in silence. God is in His temple. So it was better than the introduction. God is in his temple. All the earth be silent before him. It's an interesting switch in that hymn if you notice that we are God's temple. The temple of the Holy Spirit where he dwells. And we are his body. And these interchangeable terms are used and particularly as in a moment we'll be breaking bread together. Well, I've missed the first two uh sermons on Habakkuk so I don't go over some of the ground already covered but just to say that uh, we almost have uh, no information about Habakkuk beyond uh, what we have in this book and if you keep it open in front of you um, it's not particularly well known part of the Bible and yet it's got a word for us Um, you will see that uh, That period uh, when the Babylonians were in the ascendancy and um, around the period of 605 BC. And it's linked very much, and there is a connection, with the fall of Jerusalem in 586 BC. It was during the reign of these kings, Manasseh and Ammon, There was a turning away from God in the nation. There was a breakdown of the social fabric and order of society. The reforms of Josiah had proved to be superficial and short-lived. Violence, oppression, and injustice were rife. I suspect a bit like what Syria is tonight. That's a terrible concept. And Habakkuk is now struggling. He has a very strong faith, yet he's struggling. And what we see here is the, the, the organized questions and prayer that lies behind this prophetic message. It comes as a burden. There is a place for that, of questioning God in prayer. Indeed, I would even say that he would encourage that. Come, let us reason together and so on. Let's engage. The prophet is one who is not an escapist. He's not burying his head in the sand. He's engaging with the world of his day as we need to with ours. And he seeks God's, God's mind as to what he sees. This isn't then just a cold analytical process. It's an emotional outburst. Deep concern. Conflict of his faith. So we've seen already the doubting and the whole process of waiting, and in the doubting, no change in the waiting, nothing seems to happen. And now we come to the term of trusting. It's in the depths of his pain, the prophet, which is encapsulated in Habakkuk. It's in the depths of his pain and the doubts that he actually encounters God. And doubt isn't isn't a uh, a contradiction of faith. Let me say to suggest to you, which I guess you've already considered, the world of Habakkuk is not unlike our own. We too, tonight, live with um, a world that is ill at ease with itself. And think about people where there's a growing underclass of the powerless, often unknown to us. Children, women, the elderly, exploited, abused, marginalised, asylum seekers, refugees. This sort of racial tension and violence towards minorities is present then and now. There are wars. Mugging, domestic violence, breakup of the, the unit of families. And if we have any vestige of sensitivity like Habakkuk, we will protest and say it's not good enough for us to be just comfortable here and be indifferent to a world of need. And ask seriously the question, where is God in this? I used the illustration this morning about discussion on our table with three unbelievers at the men's breakfast. And one person uh, paused his difficulty like this. He said, well, you know, so many bad things happen to good people. I can't believe in God who allows that. And I just said to him, you know, my problem is the opposite. It's not so many bad things happen to good people. It's so many good things seem to happen to bad people. And they get them, is not it, isn't it? Where is God in this? Or, to be more direct, the prophet seems to ask, why does a caring holy God apparently turn a blind eye to evil? Why does he do that? Well, that's, those are not easy uh, issues. That's sort of by way of um, an introduction to, to get into the, the atmosphere rather than simply the content at this point. So we're thinking about chapter 3 and you concluded last Sunday by, uh, with, the, to summarize that the grace of God uh, is with us even when we're waiting. We can have faith in Christ who proved himself worth trusting. We can have hope to see the glory of Jesus and his ultimate return. And we can have times when we are silent in the presence of our risen Lord and of confidence that he is in control. That's how you concluded last Sunday. Now we're thinking of this third chapter and I want you to um, follow this through with me. I want to highlight very quickly, and just for you to think about these now as they come before you, um, Habakkuk's um, dilemma, if you like, is an age-old one. And it's posed by way of a question. There you are. You have it uh, behind me here. Um, Why does evil prosper in a world under the control of a good God? We believe God is good. I hope we believe that God is sovereign, that he is in control. Then if that is the case, why is the world as it is? The burden of the book is crystallized in, under these five headings. Just think about these and, and um, see their relevance to us. The first, God's apparent injustice. I was tempted to put God's apparent indifference. Don't seem to care. That's so it seems. And there are people who have cause to ask that, perhaps more so than we ourselves today in, in war zones and, and where the trafficking uh, and the exploitation of children and people. So here's the question. Why does a holy God turn a blind eye to evil? And how can he use a ruthless, godless, violent nation to judge his people? The answer that is given is itself problematic. We'll come to that. It's often the answer that either we don't understand or we don't want to hear. We like to put God into a box and say, yes, that's, that's God. We can't do that. We can't do that. And the next issue that comes out here is, and uh, you may want to follow these uh, references, because, you know, that's how it started, isn't it? Habakkuk chapter 1, and this is his complaint. How long? Chapter 1, verse 2. Must I call for help? And you don't listen. know I pray, but what, what good is it? Cry for violence, you don't save. You look at injustice. Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence. Right, conflict abounds. The Lord's paralyzed. People get away with murder. And so on. Justice is perverted in the land. Then the second theme here is that of idolatry. If you stay in, in this chapter 1. Um, the exploitation of let me put it like this this is the application for us if our ultimate motivation is corporate profit, thinking now nationally as well, or private gain, or personal aggrandizement whatever that uh, gives or national conquest we ourselves can worship another god And there are times when the church has compromised and has worshipped another god. You see in verses um, 18 and 19 of chapter 2. Of what value is an idol? Well, you may say it depends what its value is in itself. Is it gold? Well, since a man has carved it, Or an image that teaches lies. For he who makes it. Trusts in his own creation. He makes idols that cannot speak. Woe to him who says to the wood. Come to life. Or to use lifeless stone. Wake up. Can it give you guidance? It is covered with gold and silver. There is no breath in it. But. And that's the him. God is in his temple. There's a third thing here, and that is waiting. You've looked at this already, and that's, that's so much a part of chapter 2. Habakkuk stations himself. You know, the world is frenetic. There's everything going on. It's a culture of survival. And the moment just takes the time to stand back and to wait. The ramparts is the idea of to station himself, just above the circumstances, the situation. And his vision that is described in chapter 3 emphasizes that God is awesome and he knows what he is doing and he is in control. And in the midst of terrible destruction, and the questions still are unanswered, Habakkuk is able to affirm his trust, even rejoice in the greatness of his God. Now, it's very difficult for us to get into this, but when you think that Babylon was a godless culture, and they had seen the destruction of the temple, where in the Jewish mindset then was, that's where God lived. And the temple's gone, so Where is God? It's interesting, the historian's account in Babylon, that many of the Jewish people settled down there. They relinquished their faith. It was a good lifestyle. It was one of the sense wonders of the world. It is the good life who needs God. And we will meet people like that today. Fourthly, pause for reflection and confidence. Look at uh, chapter 2 and verse 14. These little vistas uh, of God's grace breaking and shining through for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Habakkuk sees the agonized questioning and prayer that lies behind his prophetic message. Think of that implication for us. All the questioning, the searching. And the final application brings us to chapter 3, 17 to 18 in particular. And if nothing else, just take note of this. It is in the depths of pain itself, it is in the context of doubt that he carries that Habakkuk actually encounters God, and hear's his word. And if we are thinking, well, you know, we've got to get all, sort out all the doubts and all the questioning, and then it'll be all right, no. Oftentimes when you talk to people who what you call perhaps not yet Christians, they say, well, until I understand all this and so on, I, I don't know. I said, you never will. And then somebody says to, to me, well, you know, I can't keep it up. I said, I know, you won't, I don't. It's not the point. That's the, that's the heart of this little um, prophecy of Habakkuk. It's in the pain, it's in the doubt that he encounters and hears God's word in a different way. So, what's the application for us? Don't run away from the nagging doubts. Don't evade the emotional wounds you feel in your heart. Don't do it. Because if you do, you, you're going to have to become superficial. You're going to have to have a front. And, and, and it's, it's so easy to put on this front with people. You can't do it with God. In fact, I don't even think it works with people myself, but you see, those are the, 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 the issues that bring us to trusting. And in chapter 3, this prophetic psalm, it's actually intended for music. Look, do, do you notice um, it says, uh, a prayer of Habakkuk, Prophet and Shigenoth. there That is, there's a footnote, uh, a musical instrument, musical term. Perhaps. So, uh, at the end, uh, in the middle of verse 3, Selah, Paul, think about this. Then, at the end of verse 13, Sila, and then in the middle of verse 9, Selah. So each time, you're not to rush through this. It's no excuse for a long sermon, but it is to say, have these pauses. Pause, stop, think, and reflect. Life is so busy, so much going on. So what you have is three main sections, musically, in this psalm, and we'll as is often customary, have three main points very quickly. The first is, you look in um, chapter three verses two to seven, here is the God of the past: Lord, I have heard of your fame, perhaps from his forefathers. And of course, this is taking taking them back to the way they were brought out of their captivity. Now god 's people are in exile. Yet again, under a different regime. And what he does here is, in vivid picture language, the momentous events of God's conquest. What he has in mind is, is the Exodus, the pending promised land and that classic muddle in the middle yeah I know where I've come from I know where we're going but what about these 40 years of just going round and round where nothing happens we think of our lives what's happening Ah, perhaps we're too afraid to stop to get off the treadmill these momentous events of God's conquest and then the Passover which brings us to trust are we going to trust him When the angel of death visits the land, are we going to trust him? You know, C.S. Lewis, the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe, the question is asked about Aslan. Is he safe? If you've seen it. Safe? No. But he's good, I tell you. He's good. Is God safe? No. But he's good. He's good. And when you look back in the past, and sometimes that's when we think about the condition of the church tonight. Perhaps we look back with maybe tinted glasses and see the blessings of the past and think, why is the church so languishing in our nation today? Well, the past coming into the present. Look at verse 2. Stand in all of your deeds of what you have done. Renew them in our day. In our time, make them known in wrath, remember mercy. And then he goes over the splendor of the past and the plagues and so forth coming out of uh, Egypt. The God of the present say quickly, Look at verses 8 to 15. The God of the present. Notice carefully that there's a subtle change. It would be good for you to read this on your own uh, this coming week. Habakkuk's theme is still in the days of Moses. But instead of speaking about what God has done in the past, he now speaks to God in the present. Sometimes it's easier, you know, to live in the past. The past is no threat. You'll make mistakes. It's easy to live there. It's hard to live now. What's he doing? Yes, yeah, there's the past. But now, in our day, in a culture like this, in, in with all these things going on, do you think it could ever be possible that God could renew his church? I wonder. In our situation today, you know, life in Babylon was complicated. There was a no compromise. You just had to fit in. And here is the covenant people, God's people, some, as I've said, were absorbed into the Babylonian culture and its idolatry and said, well, you know, I'll think about God in my heart, but I'll do this because it makes life easier. What, what were they like? What was it like? Well, let me turn to Psalm 137. You know, Borny M has done a lovely song on this, hasn't he? And, uh, but it gives you a little bit of picture. Yes, they're in Babylon. And uh, it may well be that Habakkuk might have sung this. Psalm 137, By the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept and we remembered Zion. Terribly sentimental. Wasn't it good then? With church, you know, church was really good then. Look at it now. Look at all these changes. Look at these things going on. You know, it's, I don't know. Our captives. Asked for songs. Our tormentors, the cynics demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us the songs of Zion. How can we? Isn't that a terrible thing for believers to respond? How can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? And they're so sentimental about Jerusalem. As if that's where God lives there, he doesn't live here. That's how it was then, but it's not like this now. And then, this forlorn comment may My tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you, if I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy. And yes, what a terrible thing. Shall I read it to you? This is how they feel about the way they're treated. Daughter of Babylon, doomed to destruction, happy is he who repays what you have done to us. He who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. What a terrible thing to read in the Bible. Not very good, is it? Not good. They've got the miseries, and they're embittered. And yet, He is still the God of today. And we might recoil at reading that in the Bible, but do we raise our voices of abortion on demand? Just to say. The God who is personal. He's a personal God. The last part of this chapter, 16 to 19. And throughout, Habakkuk is aware of, on the one hand, the, the, the loss of God. He makes mention of that. And this confession of faith that God is also merciful. Somehow these two seem to be Contradictory. But they're not. The book, as we said, opens with with tormented questions. He is tormented. How long, O Lord, must I call for help? And cry. How long, O Lord? Why don't you answer me? These tormented questions. But it closes with an expression of joy and trust. And so... Look at verse 17. It's quite, a, quite something. You know, i was trying to think what would be the equivalent today if, uh, if the stock market collapsed. If inflation was rampant and out of control. If the value of, of all that we own came to nothing. Everything we would worked for, and much worse. That's what it's, this is this is powerful language. So verse seventy though the fig tree does not bud, there are no grapes in the vine, though the olive crop fails, the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, no cattle in the stalls, yet I will. It's personal, isn't it? Rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in God my Saviour. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. nearly finished, just last few comments and then we'll close. If you notice it's not that Habakkuk's circumstances have changed because they haven't changed a bit. Outwardly, nothing has changed. It's the same. But his perspective has changed. And that makes the difference. It's how we see things. It's our perception of these things that is the whole issue of moving from questioning to trusting. From doubting to trusting. And it's a journey. And it's a painful one. And it may be even when we arrive at trusting we bring some of our doubts with us. It is not habitat. Circumstances that have changed or improved significantly, but his perception has changed. We could put it like this in the famous uh, proverb, but use it differently. Yes, where there is no vision, the people perish. But where there is vision, the people flourish. And it isn't the circumstances that you know our vision will improve as our circumstances. Our circumstances could get worse. Our situation could be exceedingly difficult. But we can still flourish. Why? Well, the answer in verse 19, and we've arrived. The sovereign Lord is my strength. And if you can think how swift the deer is, you need to go on to the heights. Trusting. Trusting in the Lord with all our hearts, believing that He is in control. I hope that we could take that with us into this week with greater confidence, a stronger trust, and apply it. Where we are. Where we are. Yes, he's the God of the past and has has done great, mighty things. God of the present. And the God who is personal with us and for us. We're going to, um, the group are going to play one song and that will make a transition to the communion, and then we'll meet at the Lord's table. And we're going to come and see, come and see the King of love. We will stand as we use this to meet together at the Lord's table. Please stand. And it's customary for us to have what's called the Institution of the Lord's Supper read, and I would like to do that briefly now. The Apostle Paul speaking to the church, saying, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, our Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, which we will do in a moment. And when he had been thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this In remembrance of me. And this cup. Is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it. In remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread. And drink this cup. This night. In this meeting. You proclaim the Lord's death. Until he comes. So we could have a just a moment to be quiet and then we will give thanks for the bread and the cup. Let's pray together. Lord, as we sit here we hear the sound. The wind. It's a reminder of the moving of your spirit. I can but ask that you would breathe on us breath of God and fill us with new life. So we come to you today to rediscover your love. We come as we will break bread that in our brokenness to find healing. And in our uncertainty and doubts to find assurance and in our need to find forgiveness Lord meet with us come to us you are in your holy temple we stand in all of you and worship you. So we we'll give thanks for the bread. Philip will do that. Thank you.
2: Father, we thank you for this precious invitation to meet around your table and to come as your children, as your people, to share in this bread and wine. And we thank you for this bread that as Jesus gave it to his disciples, he said, It's my body that was broken for you and we thank you that as that was done in anticipation of the cross we look back and with thankful hearts we remember that for us for us he was made sin. Help me take it in and we just pray as praise, we share together in the broken bread reminding us of all that it cost Jesus to go to the cross to bring us forgiveness to bring us cleansing that you would help us to take it in and to be thankful and rejoice we pray in his precious name Amen
1: Amen so we take once more one whole loaf and in its brokenness reminding ourselves Jesus is broken for us through his brokenness we are renewed and healed so eat of this bread with thanksgiving and feed on him in your hearts by faith this is my body which is broken for you this bread that we break is a participation in the body of Christ eat of it ...as you receive it. Then we give thanks for the cup.
3: Father, what a blessed people we are. Lord, that in your anger... Lord, in your wrath, you remembered mercy. And Father, we are recipients of that mercy... Lord, you, a God who could not look upon sin, was prepared to send his only begotten Son to redeem us. Mm. And Father, to cleanse us. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, we know in our heart of hearts there's no thing we could do about it personally. Mm. But Jesus came. And Lord, by his stripes we were healed. Lord, by his blood we've been cleansed. And now, Lord, we can be temples of that pure Holy Spirit because of the finished work on Calvary. So, Lord, although this is a bittersweet moment, we rejoice in the fact that we've been washed clean in the blood of the Lamb. And, Lord, we can embrace life, life with you in the hereafter, Lord, life with you we will behold your face hmm. because of that great victory at Calvary. Here we bless you, Lord. Hmm. Here we worship and adore you. Yes, Lord. Lord, you alone, our God, hmm. we fall before you.
1: Lord, amen. Amen. Please receive the cup and keep it so that together in the unity of the body of Christ we shall drink of it together. While the glasses have been brought to us, the cups, the group will lead us as we think about his love, picture, his love nailed to the cross, perfect and blameless life, given as sacrifice. Stay seated. Cup of Blessing. In the presence of our risen Lord, let's drink of it together. And our final prayers, we not only think of ourselves, but of others. And we bring people who are very needy. We bring them to you now, Lord Jesus. You're the God of the cross. We offer prayers for all who cry out in despair and pain, and for those who feel forsaken by youth and indeed by those they love. We ask that you would come to them with the courage that goes beyond fear, that you would bless them with faith that goes beyond doubt. And life itself that goes beyond death. Bless them tonight with love that never abandons. And so we pray for one another as is customary for us. We ask your blessing on those who are so much a part of our fellowship and family who are needy. And Lord, it's a very humbling thing that as we pray for one another in our loss so we can rejoice with those who rejoice. Couples who are planning their marriage soon. That you will give great joy to their families in coming together in this public covenant of promise. Those who are struggling, and others of us who have need to be concerned for ourselves and others, we pray that you will bring real blessing, fresh hope, renewed courage. And Lord, Finally, all of our unspoken prayers, our longings and desires, we we bring to you once more. Though it is a familiar prayer, give us your spirit as we pray together That prayers you taught your disciples, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread